0: In the presentations that I will share with you here at Michigan Camp Meeting, I want to focus on three distinctives of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. These three distinctives are found in the three angels' messages. The first distinctive we are going to discuss this morning, the Seventh-day Sabbath. And then we are going to discuss the investigative judgment. And finally, we will take a look, another look, at the second coming of Jesus, which occurs immediately after the third angel's message. An angel is sitting on a cloud with a sickle in his hand to harvest the earth. Before we open God's word this morning, we do want to have a special word of prayer, so I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we come before your august and glorious throne, In humility, realizing that our wisdom is so limited. Therefore, we plead for your wisdom, for your guidance as we open your holy word. We ask that the Spirit that inspired that word will be with us to explain it to us this morning. We claim the promise of your presence through the ministry of your holy angels. And this we ask in the precious name of Jesus our Lord and Savior, Amen. In September of the year 2015, Pope Francis I made a historic visit to the United States of America. During his stay here, he was present at four main events. The first of those, of course, was meeting with President Barack Obama in the White House where they discussed certain issues for about 45 minutes. Then the Pope moved to the United States Congress where he gave a speech to a plenary session of the Congress of the United States. The House of Representatives and the Senate was present there. Then the Pope moved on to New York, where he gave a speech for the 70th anniversary of the General Assembly of the United Nations. And finally, he went to Philadelphia. We had a group from Secrets Unsealed present there, giving out great controversies and a special DVD that we prepared for the occasion. He spoke in front of Constitution Hall where the three founding documents of the United States were ratified. The Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. In virtually every contact that the Pope has had, every speech that he has given, he has highlighted three main topics. First, the need to address and resolve the serious issue of global poverty. Second, the need to save the disintegrating family. And third, the need to resolve the grave issue of climate change. Now, it's no secret that the Pope has linked these three issues with the need to observe Sunday as the day of rest, and his argument runs something like this. Poverty is due to the fact that capitalist overlords abuse their workers. They make them work 24-7, and so the capitalist overlords need to give their workers at least one day a week to rest. And of course, you know which day that is. Sunday. When he addresses the family, he also states that the family is stressed out. The family is busy seven days a week, working, going to school, shopping, etc., The family needs a time to get together, where they can go to church and they can strengthen the family roots. And of course, the day of choice, Sunday. When it comes to climate change, the planet needs a day to rest because the environment is abused seven days a week. And so one day needs to be set apart to allow the environment to rest. Of course, that day is Sunday. So this leads us to ask the question, has the Pope focused on the right day to address these causes? And of course, as Seventh-day Adventists, we know that the answer to that question is no. So I invite you to go in your Bibles with me to see what the Bible has to say about this. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 will be the central part of our study this morning. Now, there's something that's very interesting as we examine the Genesis story. Particularly when it comes to the Sabbath. And that is that there is no direct command of God in Genesis 2 for Adam and Eve to keep the Sabbath. The story tells us that God rested the seventh day. But there's no place where it says that God told Adam and Eve to rest. And so this has led many theologians, non-Adventist theologians, to say that the Sabbath is not a creation institution where God commanded Adam and Eve to rest. Now, in our study this morning, I want to address that particular issue. Why is there no command in Genesis 2, for Adam and Eve to keep the Sabbath. Why does it say that God rested the seventh day? By the way, there's an individual, I'll mention his name because undoubtedly you receive his journal now and then, Dale Retzlaff who used to be a Bible teacher in one of our educational institutions. Uh, He has declared war on everything Seventh-day Adventist and he has stated that the Sabbath is not a creation institution. Because there's no command of God in Genesis for Adam and Eve to keep the Sabbath. Sometimes, for many years, I thought how wonderful it would have been for God to have placed there in Genesis, Adam and Eve, keep the Sabbath. That would have settled the issue. Why didn't God tell Adam and Eve, keep the Sabbath? I struggled with that question for many years. I believe that the Sabbath is a creation institution. All my life I've believed that but I've always had the question, why didn't God just settle the issue in Genesis and say, Adam and Eve, keep the Sabbath. One thing that we notice as we examine the creation story, and that is that the creation story is centered in God. God is the subject of the creation story. God is the central actor in the story. More than 30 times just in chapter 1, we find expressions such as God created, God said," God saw, God called, God made, God set them, God blessed. More than 30 times just in chapter 1, which tells me that this story is centered in God. God is the subject of the creation story, not man. Now let's take a look at the first six days of creation week. The first six days are all about God and not about man. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made... And indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Who created everything during the first six days? God created everything the first six days. It says, The Lord saw everything that He had made, and indeed, it was very good. The first six days are about God. God did all the work of creating. Because God did all of the work of creating the first six days, everything that came into existence belongs to God. Go with me to Psalm 24, and we'll read verses 1 and 2. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. Here, in this very well-known section of Scripture, we find the following words. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. Now why is everything in the world the Lord's? Here comes the explanation. For, that it means because, he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. To whom does the light belong? To God. To whom does the firmament belong? To God. To whom does the vegetation belong? To whom do the heavenly bodies belong? To whom do the birds belong? To whom do the fish belong? To whom do the animals belong? To whom do human beings belong? But the Sabbath is the Sabbath of the Jews. If everything that God made is his because he made it, then the Sabbath must be his as well. Because the Sabbath was made. The Sabbath was made for man. And so we find that the first six days of creation week are centered in God. God did all the work. God did all the creating. But the seventh day is also all about God. Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3. Genesis chapter 2 verses 2 and 3. And we're going to notice that ten times... In these two verses, we're going to be told that everything is about God. It almost sounds redundant when you read this passage in Genesis 2 3. It says, On the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. Somehow I get the impression that the seven days of creation are all about God. God worked six and God rested on the seventh. The Bible tells us that God did three things with the Sabbath. Number one, He rested. Number two, He blessed the Sabbath. And number three, He sanctified the Sabbath or made it holy. So the first six days of creation week are all about God. God works six God rested on the seventh. There's no reference to man working six or resting on the seventh. God worked six and God rested on the seventh. Don't get nervous on me. Now we need to take a look at the word rested in Genesis chapter 2 verses 2 and 3. The word rested is used twice. It's the Hebrew word Shabbat, where we get our word Sabbath from. Now we need to understand what the word Shabbat means. The word Shabbat does not describe how God rested on the seventh day. It does not describe the quality of God's rest on the seventh day. It does not describe the manner of God's rest on the seventh day. The word Shabbat in Hebrew simply means to cease. It means to quit. In other words, on the seventh day, God stopped creating. God ceased from creating on the seventh day. So the word Shabbat means to cease. It means to stop. The seventh day God created no more, in other words. You know, we use uh, the word rest in a similar way these days. When there's a trial and the district attorney finishes presenting his case, we say the prosecution rests. Are we saying that the prosecutor is going to go to Hawaii on vacation? And that he's going to have a great time there? Of course not! What does it mean? It means that the district attorney has ceased presenting his case because his case is complete. That's the meaning of the word Shabbat. It means to cease. Let me give you two biblical examples. I have everything written down in my notes here, all of the Bible verses to, to be able to deliver the sermon more quickly. If you want, you can write these down. I'm simply going to read Two other verses, and there are many more, I might say, uh, where the word Shabbat is used in the sense of ceasing. Nehemiah 6, verse 3, um, Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall. The enemies wanted him to come down from the wall so they could talk about the project. And Nehemiah told them, listen, I I can't come down. I'm too busy building the wall. This is what Nehemiah 6, verse 3 says. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? The word cease there is Shabbat. Why should I stop building the wall to come, and come down and talk to you? In Psalm 46, 8 and 9, we find a description of the time when wars will come to an end. It says there in these verses, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made the desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease That's the word Shabbat. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. So the word Shabbat in Genesis means to cease. God on the seventh day ceased creating. He stopped creating. He created no more. In other words, the word Shabbat tells us what God did not do on the seventh day. He created no more. I'd like to read a definition that is given by Kenneth Vine, who wrote um, many volumes about the meaning of biblical words. Uh, He explains concerning the word Shabbat, the writer of Genesis 2 verse 3 is not stressing rest from work, but rather God's ceasing from his creative work since it was complete. So the first week of the history of this world is what I call God's week. Because God worked six days and God rested on the seventh day. No reference to man working during those six days to create. No reference to man resting on the seventh day. But of course we would like to know What God did during the seventh day when he ceased. Unfortunately, the word Shabbat won't help us. Because all Shabbat tells us is what God didn't do on the seventh day. God created no more. He stopped creating. He ceased his work of creation. But we'd like to know what the quality of God's rest was on the seventh day. How he rested. What he did on the seventh day, in other words unfortunately, Shabbat won't help us. We have to look elsewhere. So the question is, do we have any other place in Scripture that would give us a hint as to the quality of God's rest on the seventh day, how he rested, what he did on the seventh day while he ceased his work of creation? The first thing I would like to say is that God did not rest because He was tired. The Bible explicitly tells us that. It was not a rest from exhaustion. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28, we find these words. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord... The creator of the ends of the earth, we're not taking this text out of context, it's speaking about God the creator, just like Genesis. Neither what? Neither faints nor is weary. I mean, come on, how much exhaustion can you have from saying, let there be light? Let there be the firmament. I mean, how tired could God be? Clearly, Isaiah tells us that God's rest, the quality of God's rest, the how of God's rest, the manner of God's rest on the seventh day was not from exhaustion. He wasn't physically tired. So the question is, what what was God's rest on the seventh day like? There's a word that will help us understand The quality of God's rest. It's found in Exodus 31 and verse 17. Exodus 31 and verse 17. It says there, It, that is the Sabbath, is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Now some people say, See, the Sabbath is a sign between God and Israel. Does it say it's a sign exclusively between God and Israel? No. Why did God say the Sabbath is a sign between me and Israel? Well, because Israel was his people at that time. If God was speaking about the Sabbath today, he would say it's a sign between me and the church. But those were his people back then. Doesn't mean that exclusively it applied to them. After all, he also gave all of the Ten Commandments to the Jewish nation. So, I would suppose all of the Ten Commandments apply only to the Jews because God gave them to them. Of course not. So, it says here that the Sabbath is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. And here comes the explanation For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. You want to take a guess what word that is? Shabbat. He ceased. But then we have an additional word, and was refreshed, interesting, refreshed. The word refreshed in Hebrew is nafash, very closely related to nefesh, nafash. Basically the word nafash is easier to demonstrate than it is to define. So I'm going to demonstrate to you what nafash is. By the way, it's not a common word in the Old Testament. It's only used four times in the Old Testament. It's a rare word. This is nafash. I just nafashed. What comes to your mind when I do that? What? Ah, thank you. That's exact the exact word I was looking for. A sigh of what? Of satisfaction. Literally, in Hebrew, the word nafash means to take a breath. So at the end of creation week, what God did was... He finished his work the sixth day and on the seventh day he went (sighs) did he do that because he was tired? No. It's almost like he let out a sigh. (sighs) How do we look at God's Reaction at the end of creation week. God is a God of beauty. It says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 that God saw everything that he had made. God contemplated his work, in other words. He saw everything that he had made and behold, it was what? It was very good. Very good. So, the word Nafash helps us understand a little bit about the quality of God's rest on the seventh day. God, Nafashed, if you please. Now, let's go, go with me to Genesis 1:31, and we'll read through chapter 2 and verse 3. Genesis 1:31 through chapter 2 and verse 3. There's something very interesting here that I want, to ke- want us to catch the nuance of. It says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, by the way, the, the word very is translated in other verses, exceedingly good. So God saw that what he had made was exceedingly good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Verse 2, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. When did God finish? Which day did God finish? The sixth day. Very well. But now notice what we find in verse 2. Actually, we just read verse, yeah, let's go to verse 2. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. Now, do you find something interesting here? He finished which day? The sixth day. What day did he end? The seventh day, do you know the word end there is the same Hebrew word finished. So evidently God finished his work twice. Finished the sixth day and he finished the seventh day. Now how do you understand God finishing something twice? Let me give you an illustration. I want you to imagine an artist, a painter. He gets a wooden frame, puts the canvas over the frame, put staples uh, along the frame. First day, he puts some basic colors in the background and at the end of his first day of work he looks and he says, good. Second day, you know, he paints a blue sky with maybe a few little clouds in it, the expansion, he steps back at the end of the day, he says, good. The third day, he puts some trees and some flowers, you know, and some green grass. And when he ends his work, the third day, he looks, he says, hmm, good. The fourth day, he places, you know, cause towards the end of the day, he places the sun in the sky. and then he play, You can see the moon sometimes in the daytime. And when he finishes his work, the fourth day, he says, hmm, good. The fifth day, he paints some birds flying in the air and some fish jumping out of the water. And at the end of the fifth day, he looks, he says, hmm, good. The sixth day he, you know, paints some giraffes and some elephants and some cows and then he he paints a a man and a woman in, in this beautiful environment and then he puts the final touches on the work of art and he steps back and he looks and he says, oh, it is very good. Has he finished his work? Yes and no. What is lacking? What is lacking is the signature that identifies the person who painted the picture. God ended his work the sixth day. The seventh day is his signature on the work of creation identifying who made it. That's why the Sabbath is part of creation week. And so what God does on the seventh day, he works six days... And on the seventh day, he steps back and he says, It is exceedingly good. And so we can know what God did the seventh day. He relished his work of creation. There's another Hebrew word. That can help us understand the quality of God's rest, the manner of His rest, how He rested the seventh day, what He did when He ceased the first six days. And that is the Hebrew word nuach. Now you remember that according to Genesis, God did three things with the Sabbath, right? First He what? He rested, secondly He blessed the Sabbath and third He sanctified the Sabbath. Now who wrote Genesis? Who wrote Exodus? Moses. Same writer, right? I'm not going to say author. The same writer. Genesis and Exodus. Now that's important. Because when we come to the fourth commandment of God's holy law, we find in the fourth commandment the same three things that are mentioned in Genesis. Go with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. It says there... And we all know this. We can repeat it from memory. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Are those the same three things that God did at creation? Rested, blessed, and sanctified. But now there's one little detail which is extremely important which you would only know if you could look up the words in the original language. The word that is used for rested in the fourth commandment is not Shabbat. It's a different word. And so you ask the question, why in the world would Moses place Shabbat in Genesis and place Nuach in the fourth commandment if it is the same day of rest? The reason is very simple. And that is that the purpose of the word Shabbat in Genesis is to emphasize that God ceased on the seventh day. The purpose of the fourth commandment is to show the quality of God's rest because the fourth commandment is telling man, you have to work six and rest the seventh as God worked six and rested the seventh. So the purpose of the fourth commandment is to say, you know, you need to do on the seventh day what God did. On the seventh day. Now. The word nuach. Is a very interesting word. It is frequently in the Old Testament. Linked. With gladness. Rejoicing. And feasting. Sometimes it helps to find out. What words are linked with another word. Let me give you a couple of examples from the Old Testament on the meaning of the word nuach as it appears in the fourth commandment, rested. Go with me to the book of Esther, chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. Esther, chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. As you know, in the days of Esther, a royal Medo-Persian decree had doomed the Hebrew nation to genocide. All of the Jews were going to be destroyed in all of the kingdom. But God, in a miraculous way through Esther, intervened and delivered the Jewish nation from annihilation. And to commemorate this, the Jews established a celebration which is known as Purim, which is celebrated even to this day among Jews, the day that they were delivered from certain death. Esther 9, 17 and 18 is describing this uh, celebration, this Purim. It says there in Esther 9 verse 17, this was on the 13th day of the month of Adar and on the 14th day of the month they rested. That's the same Hebrew word as in the fourth commandment, they nuach, they rested. Now what kind of rest are we talking about here? they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Do you know that Orthodox Jews do not fast on Sabbath because fasting is a sign of affliction. The Sabbath is a day of feasting not a fasting. I did not say a day for gluttony. (laughs) And so notice Noah is connected with feasting and gladness. Verse 18, But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day as well as on the 14th and on the 15th of the month they rested. Here's the same word again, nuach, from the fourth commandment. They rested and made it a day of what? Feasting and gladness. So what is the word nuach linked with? Feasting, joy, gladness. Notice also Proverbs 29 and verse 17. Proverbs 29 and verse 17. Here it's talking about disciplining children, which is something very rare these days. And it discusses the, 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 uh, the benefits of disciplining children. It says there, correct your son and he will give you nuach. Same word as the fourth commandment. What does it say? Correct your son, and he will give you rest. What kind of rest? Yes, he will give what? Delight to your soul. So rest is a delightful rest, according to this text. So how are we to conceive of God's rest on the seventh day? It wasn't only ceasing, it was a day of what? A day of feasting, a day of gladness, a day of joy. That's the reason why Isaiah 58 says that the Sabbath is a what? The Sabbath should be a delight. Call the Sabbath a delight. So God's rest on the seventh day had something to do with joy and gladness and feasting and delight. That was the manner of his rest, which is emphasized in the fourth commandment. By the way, the Genesis account tells us that before creation, the planet was without form and void and in darkness. And God worked to bring order out of chaos and beauty out of ugliness. And when he finished, he looked at what he had made and he nafashed. He nuacht, delight, gladness, joy by contemplating what God had made. Incidentally, Ellen White, who was not a theologian and did not know Hebrew as far as I know, knew very well how God rested on the seventh day. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 47. Ellen White explains, God looked with satisfaction upon the work of his hands. See, that's nafash. He looked with what? She's not... See, he's not adding to scripture the Bible says that God looked at what he had made See, so once again God looked with satisfaction upon the work of his hands all was perfect worthy of its divine author and he rested not as one weary but as well pleased with the fruits of his wisdom and goodness and the manifestations of his glory Is that the way we should keep the Sabbath? Remember the fourth commandment says we're supposed to rest the way God did. But do you know God didn't nuach and didn't nafash by himself? The whole universe did. You say, where do you get that from? Go with me to Job 38. Job 38, and we're going to read verses 4 through 7. The whole universe shared in this feasting and joy and gladness as they contemplated the joyous creation of God. It says there in Job, God asked Job a series of questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, God is speaking with somewhat sarcasm. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were the foundations fastened or who laid its cornerstone? What, is, what event is being described here? Creation. Now what happened at creation? Verse 7 When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. What happened at creation? The morning. Who are the morning stars? The angels and the sons of God are the representatives of the worlds that never sinned. Remember when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord in the book of Job? Satan came representing planet earth. So not only did God let out a sigh, not only did God enjoy feasting and joy and gladness, the entire universe did at creation according to Job 38. Ellen White, who is always in harmony with Scripture, in Desire of Ages, page 281, wrote these words. The Sabbath was hallowed at creation. As ordained for man, it had its origin when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Peace brooded over the world. For the earth was in harmony with heaven. God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good and he rested in the joy of his completed work. The joy of his completed work. Now we have to answer the question that we started with. Why did not God command Adam and Eve to keep that first Sabbath? Let's read the Bible carefully to see if we can discover the reason. Going back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, we find a description of the institution of the Sabbath. It says, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Now let's stop there just for a moment. You know, for most of my ministry, at least for two-thirds of my ministry... I just assumed that God told Adam and Eve to keep that first Sabbath. But what I discovered, and I'm going to share with you, is that God actually did not sanctify the Sabbath until the Sabbath ended. He did not bless the Sabbath until the Sabbath ended. In other words, what I'm trying to say, and I'm going to prove it from the Bible and the Spirit of prophecy, is. That God, after he rested, he blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Let's read Genesis 2 verse 3 very carefully. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Why? Because in it he what? He rested from all his work which God had created and made. Why did God bless and sanctify the Sabbath? Because on that day He what? He rested. Exodus 20.11, Exodus 20.11, even clearer, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day, therefore. What does therefore mean? Because of this, this. So it says there, once again in Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and what? And hallowed it. Ellen White, was always in harmony with the Bible, knew this. It would have been very easy for Ellen White to make the mistake, the theological mistake, of saying, And God told Adam and Eve to keep that Sabbath, that first Sabbath. You say, that would have been a theological mistake? Yes, and you're going to see why. Let me read you some statements from Ellen White. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 47. She wrote, After resting upon the seventh day, God sanctified it, When did God sanctify the Sabbath? After resting upon the seventh day, God sanctified it or set it apart as a day of rest for man. When did the Sabbath become a day of rest for man? After God rested on the Sabbath. Are you with me or not? This is is the, the answer to those who say that the Sabbath is not a creation institution. Because God didn't tell Adam and Eve to rest. Vitally important. It is, it is the argument that puts the nail in the coffin. Here's another one, Desire of Ages, page 281. Because he had rested on the Sabbath, because he had what? Rested on the Sabbath, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set it apart to a holy use. When was the Sabbath set apart to a holy use? When it began or when it ended? When it ended. He gave it to Adam. When did He give it to Adam? After it ended, folks, He gave it to Adam as a day of rest. It was a memorial of the work of creation and thus a sign of God's power and His love. She never made the mistake of saying that, uh, you know, that God told Adam and Eve to keep that that first Sabbath. My Life Today, page 259, she's speaking about uh, Revelation 1 verse 10 where John is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. See, most Christians say that was Sunday. Ellen White explains, The Lord's Day mentioned by John was the Sabbath, the day on which Jehovah rested after the great work of creation and which he blessed and sanctified because he had rested upon it. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4, page 247. God blessed and sanctified the seventh day because he rested upon it from all his wondrous work of creation. And there are many others that I could read. Now, let me just share with you the reasons why God did not command Adam and Eve, give them a direct command to keep that first Sabbath. Number one, God could not give the Sabbath to Adam and Eve before he made it. Is that registering or not? Did God have to make the Sabbath first before he gave it to Adam and Eve? Of course, he made everything else before he gave it to Adam and Eve. He had to make the Sabbath before he could give it to them. Second, when did the Sabbath become holy according to what we just noticed? The Sabbath became holy after God had rested the entire day, then the whole day was holy. By the way, every second that God rested became holy. Every minute that God rested became holy. Every hour that God rested became holy. And when God had rested all 24 hours, the entire day was holy. God could not tell Adam and Eve to keep the Sabbath holy before it was holy. Are you with me or not? When did the Sabbath become holy? when God had rested the entire day. So could God tell Adam and Eve at the beginning of the Sabbath keep the day holy if the day wasn't holy yet? I see lots of people. How could God tell Adam and Eve to keep the Sabbath without first giving them the example? Imagine God saying at the beginning of that Sabbath, He says, Keep the Sabbath holy. Adam and Eve say, How? God did not command them to keep the Sabbath holy, God showed them how to keep the Sabbath holy. And the example is much more powerful than words. Ellen White, I never cease to marvel at Ellen White. Every day that passes, I believe more in her inspiration. There are two kinds of people that disbelieve the spirit of prophecy. Number one, those who never read her. And number two, those who read her with the intention of criticizing. Listen to what Ellen White has to say about the example. God made man in his own image. And then gave him an example of observing the Sabbath day which he sanctified and made holy. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 47, after resting upon the seventh day, God sanctified it or set it apart as a day of rest for man. Then she says, following the example of the Creator, man was to rest upon this sacred day that as he should look upon the heavens and the earth, he might reflect upon God's great work of creation, and that as he should behold the evidence of God's wisdom and goodness, his heart might be filled with love and reverence for his maker. Incidentally, the fourth commandment applies to man, beginning with the second Sabbath of history. You say, what now? What does the fourth commandment say? Work six, rest the seventh. Adam and Eve had not worked six. That's taking a while to register. The fourth commandment applies to Adam and Eve beginning with the second week of human history. Because the first week, God created the week. And after God created the week, He gave the week to Adam and Eve. He says, I worked six, I rested on the seventh. Now, I've given you an example. Starting tomorrow, because it's still the Sabbath, starting tomorrow, you're going to work six, and then you're going to rest the seventh as you saw me rest. Are you with me? Now you say, but pastor, how does man relate to that first Sabbath? Think Adam and Eve were working that first Sabbath? No, what were they doing? By the way, which day of the week were Adam and Eve created? The six. So would you say that they were eyewitnesses to God's rest? Of course, how could they follow God's example if they didn't witness how God rested? So you can imagine the entire universe experiencing Nafash and Nuach. Wow. Lord, wow. This is amazing what you've done. You even outdid yourself. I like to believe that God gave Adam and Eve the scenic tour (laughs) on the Sabbath. God showed them everything they didn't mean. And Adam sees, wow, this is amazing. And God said to them, Yes, it is. And Adam and Eve say, Why did you make all of this? For you? For us. How much do we have to pay? Nothing. It's free. For you. But there's always a danger you might forget. So, next Sabbath, you are going to do what we did this Sabbath. We walked together through the garden and took the tour to remember what a great God I am in the marvelous things that I made for you, so I want you next Sabbath and every Sabbath after to do the same thing so that you remember where all of this comes from. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 48, God saw that a Sabbath was essential for man even in paradise. Be real, if it was necessary in a perfect paradise, what about today? Once again, God saw that a Sabbath was essential for man even in paradise. He needed to lay aside his own interests and pursuits for one day of the seven that he might more fully contemplate the works of God and meditate upon his power and goodness. He needed a Sabbath to remind him more vividly of God and to awaken gratitude because all that he enjoyed and possessed came from the beneficent hand of the Creator. And folks, it is no coincidence that when Jesus finished his works of redemption on the sixth day of the week, he said, it is finished on the cross. And then he rested from his works of redemption all day Sabbath in the grave. The creator and the redeemer are the same person. And the Redeemer did what the Creator did at creation. Rested from his works of creation when he said it is finished on the sixth day as he had said it is finished during creation week. But there's more. When we get to heaven, particularly the New Earth, God's people will observe the Sabbath. Go with me to Isaiah 66, 22 and 23. Isaiah 66, 22 and 23. There's some very interesting things that we're going to notice here very quickly. You know this passage, you could recite it from memory. For as the new heavens and the new earth what I shall make shall remain before me says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another. Don't get all shook up over that. New moon means the month. The new moon marks the beginning of the month. So uh, the Spanish version, for example, says from month to month. De mes en mes. Why will we go every month? Because there's a tree that produces its fruit every month. Revelation 22, verse 2. Verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Now let me share this with you. The Bible tells us that as a result of the plagues and the second coming of Jesus, this earth will return to the condition it was in before creation week. Jeremiah saw the world, he said, it was without form and void. And darkness was over the earth. The earth will return to the condition it was, in great degree, it was before creation week. So is God going to have to do the work that he did at the very beginning to recreate what existed in this world? Of course he is. By the way, do you know that Ellen White tells us that the sun, moon, and stars will be moved out of their places at the voice of God? Which means that the planet will be chronologically out of whack. God is going to have to establish months and days and years again. Now, why do I say this? For the simple reason that I believe that when God makes a new heavens and a new earth, he's going to do it in seven days. You say now where do you get that idea from? It's very simple. Because we are going to keep the seventh day to commemorate the creation of new heavens and new earth and you can't have a seventh without having the first six. Now there's one beautiful thing about this and that is that at the beginning when God created everything, Adam and Eve were not eyewitnesses of what God made. First day they weren't around, the second day they weren't around, the third day they were not around, the fourth day they were not around, the fifth day they weren't around, the sixth day when God created Adam, obviously Adam didn't see his own creation and when God created Eve he put Adam to sleep. How could they be sure that God was the creator? By faith, because God said so. But at the end, God's people will be alive and well. Imagine, we will, be, we will have, not the bleacher seats, grandstand. Let there be light. Let there be the firmament. Let there be vegetation, which was all burned up at the fourth plague. Let the heavenly bodies occupy the places where they should be. Let there be fish and birds in the air. Let there be land animals. See, at the beginning, Adam weren't there when God created anything. But at the end, I believe God will recreate in six days. God's people will be eyewitnesses. Wow! And then... We will not live by faith. We will live by what? By sight, the Apostle Paul tells us. And then God will say, after he finishes his work, he'll say, folks, how about we gather together on this Sabbath day to commemorate creation, to commemorate redemption, and to commemorate the recreation of the heavens and the earth. I have to come back to Pope Francis, with whom I began. You know, John Paul II, just just to mention this, in his pastoral letter, letter, Dies Domini, said that after sin is eradicated from this world, we will live in an eternal Sunday. That's what he says. In Diaz Domini he says we'll live an eternal Sunday. Pope Francis I and Pope John Paul II have both gone on the record saying that, that the story in Genesis is a symbolic story. It never took place the way the Bible says. They are evolutionists. They believe that this world came into existence by a long process of evolution that took millions, billions of years. Let me ask you something. What happens with marriage as it's described in Genesis when you discard the creation story? Any kind of marriage will do. But when you read Genesis, there's only one kind of marriage, male and female, a man and a woman. What happens with the Sabbath if you believe that the story of creation is not literal, that really it's a symbolic story? The Sabbath is gone. And that's the way the devil is attacking these two institutions. We usually think that Sunday laws are the biggest attack against the Sabbath. No, evolution is the biggest attack against the Sabbath. So neither Francis nor John Paul actually even believe in a literal creation. Now let me just mention this in closing. The issue at the end of time is not an issue of days, it is an issue of authority. If you keep God's Sabbath holy as the final generation, you are recognizing the authority that created the Sabbath. The day is only the way of testing whose authority you accept. If you keep Sunday as the day of rest, that's a recognition that you're accepting the authority of the one who made Sunday the day of rest. So the issue is not the days, the issue is which authority do you accept? Scripture or what man says? That will be the end time test. That is the seal of God and the mark of the beast. And I pray to the Lord, folks, that at Seventh-day Adventist, we will tell the world these things. We have a marvelous message. We have present truth. Are we hiding it under a bushel? We have the message of joy and peace and, and hope that the world needs. And we just keep it to ourselves. Do you think the world needs to enjoy this beautiful blessing of Sabbath? Wow, they don't know what they're missing. So we have to let them know what they're missing. We have to go out and we have to witness to these things of our wonderful God. We have to go back and talk to our neighbors and our friends. We have to go back and talk to our fellow workers. Take advantage of every opportunity with a smile on our faces to tell people what a wonderful God we have. A God who created a perfect world, a God who came to redeem that world and rest it on the Sabbath, and a God who will soon restore this world to its pristine beauty. We have this blessed hope that burns within our hearts. May that hope burn bright in our hearts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you're such a wonderful God. You lavish us with everything. To top it all off, you give us 24 hours of your time. So busy you are. And yet you say, come and spend the Sabbath with me. What a wonderful God you are. Thank you Lord for giving your remnant church the Sabbath. When we can get away from all of the rat race of life, everything ours, and focus only on everything yours, I ask Lord that you will be with this wonderful constituency of the Michigan Conference and those from other conferences. Oh Lord, help us to enjoy the blessings of the Sabbath, but to fulfill our responsibilities of sharing the beauty of the Sabbath with those who are perishing and in anxiety and in stress. Thank you, Lord, for having been with us this morning. I ask that you will take what we've studied, that you will record it in our minds and in our hearts, that it might impact our lives and the lives of others. We pray in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.